So, as I introduce this sermon, uh, there's a former member of Fairview uh, who is known for his hatred of false doctrine. Some of you might have thought I was going to say his hatred for Fairview or something else, but no, for his hatred of false doctrine. And he has merchandise, uh, he has videos, uh, he has songs, etc., that fall under the umbrella or the label false doctrine killer. I didn't say killer, killer. Uh, so that's his label, false doctrine killer. And I'm not here to evaluate this person or his ministry. I'm just using that as an introduction. Uh, we live in a world uh, that is filled with false teachers and thus false doctrine. And this shouldn't really surprise us because false doctrine has been around forever. It was introduced into human history back in Genesis 3. It was introduced by Satan, the devil, the arch enemy of our soul, taking the form of a serpent. And he tempted Eve. And the means by which he tempted her was through false teaching, through false doctrine. And as a result, Eve and Adam plunged into sin. And all throughout history from that time, our world is filled with false doctrine. Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, he warned about false prophets. And he predicted that false prophets will come at the end of the time. He said that these false teachers would come in sheets, clothing, as you wouldn't be able to, to recognize them. They'll look like regular Christian people, so to speak. They'll look like God's people, but they'll come in sheets, clothing, but they're false prophets. The Apostle Peter, when he writes his second letter, he told his readers, guess what? In the past, there have been false prophets and there will be false teachers among you. You Christians. He says there will be false teachers among you. And the Apostle John adds his voice. He says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, that many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, so don't be shocked that there are false teachers in our world today. Don't be shocked that there is false doctrine. The scriptures have made it clear. And in our letter, 1 Timothy, it's made clear that there are false teachers and false doctrine. But the question is, what's the church's responsibility to false doctrine? What's our obligation to false doctrine? And it's simple. The church is to not permit or not allow false doctrine in its midst. We will never extinguish false doctrine in this world. But our responsibility as a local church, Fairview, our obligation from God, before God, is to stop 
false doctrine when it arises in our midst. To, to put it another way, no false doctrine. And if that sounds unloving to you, I'm sorry. Because the scripture says very clearly and very distinctly, no, no false doctrine. It, it must not be allowed in the local church. The church has an obligation, a responsibility to make sure that false doctrine is not in its midst. And as we come to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, it provides us with three reasons why there should not be false doctrine in our midst. We might think the false doctrine is no big deal, but according to our text, three reasons are given for the reality that there is to be no false teaching in our midst. And as we come to our text, no false doctrine. Why? Because false doctrine is illegal according to the word of God. False doctrine is forbidden. False doctrine is prohibitive. False doctrine is a crime that we are not to be guilty of. And we don't have to look any further than verses 3 and 4 of our text to come to that conclusion. I don't have to go from Genesis to Revelation to tell you that false doctrine is illegal. That false doctrine is not to be permitted in the local church. Paul makes this clear in verses 3 through 4. Evidently, there was some kind of a meeting or communication between Paul and Timothy. And Paul gave Timothy the responsibility of remaining on at Ephesus. That's where Timothy is. Paul was traveling to Macedonia. And he said, Timothy, your obligation, your responsibility is to stay at Ephesus. And some of us are familiar with the church at Ephesus. It had its beginning in Acts 19. Paul met with his leaders called the elders in Acts 20, a tearful farewell meeting between Paul and the Ephesian elders. Paul, when he was in prison in Rome, wrote a letter that we call Ephesians. Six chapters, we looked at some of the prayers in Ephesians. We looked at spiritual warfare. We looked at marriage. Paul wrote about those things to that church. When you come to the end of your Bible, the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ writes a letter to this church. And he says and charges them, you've left your first love. So the church at Ephesus has existed through, for a long time. My wife and I, when we were on our last vacation, we got a chance to go to Ephesus and walk through that city. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to stay on at Ephesus. I have to travel. I have to leave. I have to go to Macedonia. But you, you stay on at Ephesus. 
you stay on at Ephesus because you have a responsibility there. There's something that you must do, Timothy. And he singles Timothy out and says, Timothy, you stay there because I am charging you to make sure that there is no false doctrine at and in the church of Ephesus. It was a personal responsibility that Timothy had. It was his obligation to make sure that there was no false doctrine. And Timothy is given this charge. It sounds like it's really just Paul saying, I urge you not to instruct. And that sounds like maybe Timothy is to have a class where he calls in these people teaching wrong doctrine. But that's not the picture at all. The, the term charge or instruct has a military context or a judicial context, courtroom context. It's an order. Timothy is to get into the face of certain individuals and charge them and challenge them and order them with regards to the things that they are teaching. And, and it's interesting that when you look at verse 3, Paul just refers to them as certain men. He doesn't call them out by name. He will call out a couple individuals later on in verse 20, but here he doesn't call them out by name. He doesn't say so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so. Stop this person. But Paul knows who they are. Timothy knows who they are. And you can always tell who these individuals are because they stick out like a sore thumb in the context of a church that teaches sound doctrine. At, at Ephesus, they were teaching sound doctrine. They were teaching pure doctrine. And so these men stuck out like a sore thumb because they were teaching something different. And so Paul didn't have to call names. Paul didn't have to list names. Paul simply said, Timothy, you stop these certain men from teaching the wrong things. Soft doctrine, false doctrine, just stick out like a sore thumb. I wonder if it would stick out like a sore thumb here at Fairview. I wonder if someone were to preach from this pulpit or teach in a Sunday school class or in a Awana ministry, if it would be obvious when false doctrine is being taught. Fairview, I have a concern for us. I'm fearful that maybe false doctrine would not stick out. Maybe among some of you, a select few, but not among our whole congregation. I'm, I'm concerned that there are certain members of Fairview who would not be able to recognize false doctrine. And, and the reason why I say that is because, to be frank, to be honest, we don't take advantage 
of the systematic teaching of sound doctrine here at Fairview. I, I've been here you know, teaching on Wednesday night for almost nine years. And when I teach on Wednesday night, my, my emphasis has always been doctrine. I, I started off when I first came here, meeting upstairs in that room, teaching the attributes of God. And now I'm teaching angelology, talking about angels, the devil, and demons. But in the midst of all of that, I've talked about and taught bibliology and Christology and soteriology and pneumatology and all those other ologies. But some of you have not taken advantage of that. And when you don't take advantage of sound doctrine, you're not going to recognize false doctrine. And I don't say that to condemn anyone, but I'm saying that if we expect to recognize false teaching, somebody shouldn't have to give us a name. All we should have to do is be able to listen. All we should have to do is hear, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. And that's what was taking place when Paul orders Timothy to charge certain ones not to teach false doctrine. Timothy, you don't need a name. You don't need a list. Just listen to what they're saying. And, and Timothy has this responsibility. He has this obligation. He's charged to get in the face of these certain teachers to prohibit them, to stop them from teaching, as Paul says, strange doctrines. Timothy, it's your obligation. The reason why I'm leaving you at Ephesus is not because false doctrine exists. My concern, Timothy, is in the church. There are people in the church teaching strange doctrines. They're teaching different doctrines then that you then you that what you teach Timothy and what I teach is different from what I teach Timothy so they're teaching different doctrine they're teaching strange doctrine later on in chapter 6 verse 3 Paul will talk more about these false teachers and what he says is that they're teaching strange doctrine that he calls them other doctrines in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. And he lets us know what it is, what he means by this. He said there are certain ones advocating a different doctrine. Different from what you teach, Timothy. Different from what I teach, Timothy. It's a different doctrine. It does not agree with sound, healthy words. Those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. You want to recognize false doctrine, false teaching? It's not consistent with sound, healthy doctrine. It's not consistent with the words of Jesus Christ. It leads to ungodliness rather than godliness. And so, Timothy, you have a responsibility to prohibit them, to forbid them, to stop them from teaching these strange doctrines. 
these other doctrines. But that's not the whole picture. There's more to the charge. Paul says in verse 4, not only are these individuals not to communicate false doctrine, but he said these individuals are not to be preoccupied with false doctrine, with the content of false doctrine. It's one thing to communicate it. It's one thing to spread it, to teach it. That is to stop. But what is also to stop is men and women, boys and girls, being addicted and paying attention to the contents of false doctrine. Paul says, stop them from teaching and communicating false doctrine. But also, Timothy, get in their face. Tell them not to pay attention to the contents of false doctrine. And the false doctrine that Paul spells out in verse 4, paying attention to myths and paying attention to endless genealogies. The, the false teachers were, were occupying themselves, meditating on, thinking on things that were fairy tales. Things that were fiction. In other words, they were focusing on things that just weren't true. And here they are preoccupied with it. Here they are paying attention to it. Things that are other doctrines. Things that are strange doctrines. They were paying attention to genealogies. The genealogies of the Old Testament. But they didn't leave those genealogies of the Old Testament as is. They would add to it. And keep adding to it. So that what they added to that list was useless, was worthless, it was endless. And Paul says, Timothy, get in their face. As an act of love, get in their face and make sure that they're not wasting their time chewing on and thinking on and paying attention to that which is wrong and false. Some of us are reading books by false teachers. We're living our life, our best life, according to false teachers. And I know it sounds like it's unloving, it's unkind. I'm just trying to bring you the implications of what the Word of God is saying. That, that we are not to be paying attention to some of these statements and these sayings of people who are not rooting it and grounding it in the Word of God. Forbid them, Timothy. Get in their face. Do not permit them to teach other doctrines. And don't allow them to focus their time on that which is not true. That which is missed in endless genealogy. He said those things just give rise to speculations. They just give rise to questions and controversy rather than furthering God's program here on earth. We see false doctrine. 
will not produce the furtherance of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will not further the administration that God hath established. And so Timothy has a responsibility. He has an obligation. No false doctrine. It's just that simple. It is not to have a place at all in the church. The communication of false doctrine, the preoccupation on false doctrine is forbidden. It's prohibited. It's not to be a part of the life of the church. That's the first reason why false doctrine is not allowed in the church because false doctrine is illegal. But the second reason is that false doctrine strikes out when it comes to love. It doesn't, it, 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 it swings and it misses when it comes to love. And that's Paul's point in, in verse 5. He, he wants us to realize that false doctrine doesn't achieve Christian love. And so he mentions in verse 5, in contrast to the false teaching of these men who are to be shut up, he, he says in verse 5, the goal of our instruction, that is the goal of the command that I have given you, Timothy, in verse 3, to shut these men up. The, the goal of my commands, Timothy, the, the goal of Christian ministry is love. Some of us might think that telling false teachers to shut up in the church, prohibiting them from teaching other doctrines is unloving. Paul said, oh no, Timothy, the, the goal of, of the instruction, the command that I'm giving you is love. And really that's the goal of command and instruction. It is to be Christian love. And you know the love that we're talking about. The love that is made famous at weddings. When people read from 1 Corinthians 13 at every wedding, doesn't matter if it's pagan or Christian. The love that manifests itself in different acts. Not just what it is, but what it does. How love is patient. How love is kind. We, we've gone through that list before, and we pointed out that instead of, no, no, substituting your name and my name in place of the word love, Paul is patient. My wife would tell you yesterday I was not patient. Okay. I'd be lying if I would tell you, no, that last night I was patient. But love is patient. And so the, the love that Paul speaks of is that well-known Christian love that you find in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love that Paul will tell Timothy in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Pursue it. Track it down. Make it yours. He tells him, among other virtues, pursue love, Timothy. 
It, it's the love that defined the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul could say to Timothy, Timothy, I've been an example to you of how to live. You've seen my love. Timothy, you've hung out with me. You, you've been around me. You, you've been with me in, in, in turbulent times and in difficult times. You, you've seen me when I'm on the mountaintop. You've seen me when I'm in the valley. You've seen that I've lived a life of love. And here Paul is saying that the goal of this command, the goal of Christian instruction is love. Christian love. And yet when it comes to these false teachers, they missed it. Their instruction produced speculation and disputes and controversy instead of love. This love that Paul talked about comes from three, a threefold source. It comes from a pure heart. That's where love comes from. From a heart that is pure. A heart that is clean. A heart that is not dirty, dirty and soiled and filthy. And sin will dirty your innermost being. It will defile the place where your thoughts come from, where your desires come from. Sin will do that. And Paul says, if we're going to love, it'll come from the source of a pure heart. It's difficult to love if in your heart is the sin of bitterness. It's difficult to love if in your heart is the sin of resentment. It's difficult to love if in your heart Heart is the sin of anger. That's not a pure heart. And love will not be flowing from heart to heart when those things or any of those things are part of your heart. If your heart is clogged up, if it's dirty, you need to run a snake through your heart. You need to run the word of God through your heart. You need to confess your sins and forsake them so that your heart is clean. You might be wondering why you can't love your mate. You might be wondering why you can't love your neighbor. You might be wondering why you can't love that brother or sister in Christ. Maybe it's because your heart is not clean. Maybe it's dirty. You need God to cleanse you. He gave you a new heart when you're born again, but as we live our Christian life, our hearts can become dirty. Love comes from a pure heart. Love also comes from a good conscience. A conscience that is good. Someone has defined the conscience as a moral compass. Our moral consciousness 
of that which is right and wrong with regards to attitudes and action. God has given each of us, each of us as human beings, a conscience. And our conscience, through the time, can be either can be good, can be clean, can be clear. Our conscience can be seared and defiled. We can have a conscience where it doesn't register north. It registers south. And we need to have our conscience magnetized by the word of God. We need to have it reset by the truth of the word. To have your conscience informed and shaped and developed by the word of God. You, you cannot leave your conscience to yourself and to itself. You need input from the word of God so that your conscience is good and it's clear. It's real, that is genuine, that is authentic. Not a trust in God that, so to speak, puts on a mask and pretends. You know what? If you and I are going to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in light of the fact that we love God, it will be due to the fact that our love comes from trusting God. You have to depend upon God. You have to rely upon God in order to be patient and be kind in the various things that he calls upon us to do. You can't strip love from its source of a genuine faith. It's only a genuine, real faith that enables you and allows you to trust God and allows you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's one more reason for no false doctrine. One more reason. No false doctrine. Why? Because false doctrine produces rotten fruit. False doctrine produces rotten fruit. 
That's the message of verses 6 and 7. False doctrine produces the rotten fruit of strain. That's what Paul says in verse 6 when he refers to these men, when he gets back to the one who are not to teach false doctrine. When he begins verse 6, he says, For some men, straying, straying from these things. Straying from what, Paul? Straying from a pure heart. Straying from a sincere faith. Straying from good, a good conscience. When you stray from those things, when it's no longer important to you to have a heart that's clean, to have a conscience that is clear, to have a faith that is genuine and real, so that love comes from that. When you stray from those things, when those things are not important, it's produced rotten fruit in your life. False doctrine will do that to you. False doctrine produces the rotten fruit of turning aside. My friends, false doctrine will take you places that you never ever wanted to go. Believe me on that. False doctrine will turn you aside. It will, excuse the expression, it will pimp you and put you on the street so that you are on the street corner parading yourself as one who is foolish and ignorant. That's what false doctrine will do to you. And that's not my belief. That is the belief of the Apostle Paul. Not only will false doctrine produce the fruit of strength, it will also produce the fruit of turning aside. It will turn you out. It won't keep you on the right path. It won't keep you following Jesus Christ. It won't keep you on the straight and narrow path. It will turn you aside. It will turn you out. It will take you places that you never ever thought you would go. False doctrine will do that in your life. It produces rotten fruit. In the case of these individuals that Timothy has to do, deal with. False doctrine turned them aside to senseless babble. That's, that's what Paul says. You have turned aside to fruitless discussion. Empty words. Words that have no content. Word that has no substance. In, in essence, all you're doing is babbling. All you're doing is saying things. But what you're saying is worthless and useless and is of no value. That's what false doctrine will do. It will turn you aside and turn you to fruitless discussions and senseless battle. Babble and false doctrine will also produce the rotten fruit of you wanting to teach that which is contrary to sound teaching. It will do that. And so in verse number 7, when Paul talks about these individuals who have turned aside from a pure heart and a clean conscience and a genuine faith, Paul says that they have a desire. Believe it or not, they have a desire to teach. 
They want to get up in front of others and instruct them. But what they're teaching and what they want to say doesn't measure up with sound doctrine. They want to be teachers of the law. And Paul will talk about the law next Sunday. We'll focus in on the law. But Paul will point out the fact that people can use the law lawlessly. They can use the law unlawfully. And that's what these false teachers do. They use the Mosaic law. That's a part of their teaching. We got some individuals, some brothers who hang out on the corners in Lamert Park, etc. They use the Mosaic law unlawfully. False teachers do that. When they teach, they teach things that don't line up with sound doctrine. And another thing that is a result of false doctrine, that false doctrine produces ignorance. False doctrine produces the rotten fruit of Ignorance. Now, if you were to talk to one of these false teachers, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. They would think that they are informed, <laughs> that they're in the know, that they have knowledge. But, but Paul says that these individuals have turned to teaching something that is not in conformity with sound doctrine. And he ends up by saying in verse 7 that they do not understand. They do not understand. They don't understand what they're talking about. And they don't understand what they are confidently affirming. They're talking loud and saying nothing. And they know nothing. That's Paul's evaluation of these false teachers. It's not that nothing is coming out of their mouth. Something is coming out of their mouth. And Paul says what is coming out of their mouth, they don't understand. They're ignorant. They're incompetent with the things that they're speaking about. The, the worst thing that can be true of a teacher is that you don't know your subject matter. To, to get up before others and teach and you don't know what you're teaching. And sometimes people do that. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. They get up and preach. And they haven't studied the text. They haven't studied God's word. They don't know what they're saying. And on top of that, they're arrogant. <laughs> they're arrogant and proud about it. They'll bang on the pulpit. They'll make confident assertions. And affirmation. It doesn't matter how loud you get. It doesn't matter how many cartwheels you do. Just because you do somersaults over something that is said doesn't make it true. These were individuals who, when they taught, didn't understand what they were saying and didn't understand the things that they were. Confidently and arrogantly saying false doctrine produced rotten fruit in these individuals. 
to produce the rotten fruit with regards to their walk with God and also with regard to their talk. False doctrine will do the same thing in our lives. <laughs> if we don't say no false doctrine, it will do the same thing in our lives. It will produce rotten fruit. No false doctrine. That's a church matter. Uh, the church has to be committed that it will never permit false doctrine in its midst. In Fairview, that's our responsibility collectively. We are obligated as a local church who belongs to Jesus Christ to forbid and prohibit the teaching of other doctrines, of strange doctrines, of things that do not match up with sound teaching in the Word of God. There's to be no false doctrine when someone preaches from this pulpit. There is to be no false doctrine when someone teaches in children's church or in Sunday school. It doesn't matter if you're teaching a four-year-old or a 40-year-old. No false doctrine. There is to be no false doctrine in our Awana ministry, in our Good News Club ministry. There is to be no false doctrine when the men of the church and the women of the church come together to receive instruction. No false doctrine. It's just not permitted. It is forbidden. And no false doctrine. That's a church matter. But no false doctrine is also a personal matter. I, I, I'm speaking to each of you now. I'm not speaking to, to us as a fan. I'm talking to each of you individually. No false doctrine. And that means you got to stop listening to Preflo Dollar, to Benny Hinn, to T.D. Jakes. No false doctrine. Uh, uh, well, he says some good things. No false doctrine. Stop reading books by the pulpiteers and the preachers and the teachers of the health and wealth gospel. The bold-faced lie that God wants you healthy and wealthy. Stop reading their books. Some of us are reading their books more than we read the Bible. Stop. No false doctrine in your life. No false doctrine. Start systematically studying the Bible. I'm glad you're here this morning, but trust me, just if your only dose of the Word of God is Sunday morning, you're not going to be able to discern false doctrine from true doctrine. As much as I labor to, to present to you sound doctrine, this is not enough. You have to systematically make a commitment to study the Word of God. 
whether that's in Sunday school, whether that's Wednesday night Bible study, whether that's LABTS. You have to make that commitment. When we don't, we're just inviting false doctrine into our life. This past Wednesday, we talked about the lies of Satan. That Satan is a liar. And he manifests his activities as a liar. And one of the lies we looked at is that God just wants you happy. Now, some of you believe that. Some of you believe that. And if I had not introduced that by saying it was a lie, it would sound good to you. Because you don't systematically study the Bible. And there's other lies that are hard to detect because we can't recognize sound doctrine. And so false doctrine takes advantage of it. And so I encourage you, whether it's Wednesday night, Sunday school, LABTS, or some systematic way of taking in the Word of God, you need to do that at a personal level. It's not sufficient. It's not enough for you just simply say, well, our pastor, our church, preaches the Word of God and teaches the Word of God. No, you must embrace sound teaching and sound doctrine. No false doctrine. Collectively as a church, and individually as a Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Many times we would preach what we want to hear and what we think is best. But there are so many things in your word that addresses matters that many times we ignore. We realize we live in a world that is filled with false teachers and false doctrine. And that there's no way that we as a church can stop that. But we can stop false doctrine and false teaching in the local church, in our church. Impress upon our hearts that false doctrine is illegal according to your word, that false doctrine strikes out at love, that false doctrine produces rotten fruit. If we are listening to the wrong people, are reading the wrong books, help us to turn from that and to make a commitment to systematically study your word so that we can recognize false doctrine as a sin of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.